Hi, welcome to Clitterly Speaking, the podcast. I'm Michelle Doherty. And I'm Emily Lane. We are BFFs dedicated to bringing you conversations between girlfriends over a bottle of wine. Oh, I am so excited about the wine part. Oh, me too. So pull up a chair, grab your glass, and let's get talking. Well, Emily, good to see you. Nice to see you too, Michelle. Yeah, I have been practicing a different intro, uh, intro when I say hello to you because I've been sounding a lot like Fat Albert. Hey, 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 <laughs> Emily, how are you doing? I'm like, I really got to come up with something else. So, hey, hi. Hi. <laughs> hi. I, I miss the hey, 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 oh, by the way. You do like that? Yeah. Okay, well, Maybe I'll, we'll ask our listeners to yeah, say hey. Do you they're have not chiming in on that one. <laughs> <laughs> they're not. They must, uh, they must all probably like just mute it until I'm done with that uh, That hello. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we're back in the studio. We are a little, a little atypical of schedule for us. We're getting another episode here in, in the middle of the week, which is really exciting because... Yes, this is a very special episode and yes. I have been looking forward to it since I had this idea. Um, my mother and my daughter are both visiting for the holidays, and I wanted to do a podcast episode with them, and I threatened that I wouldn't feed them while they're at my house. <laughs> and they, they graciously said, <laughs> she graciously said, okay, Michelle, it's another one of your projects. Sure, we'll be happy yeah. to, to come. Um, and so I want to introduce my mom, Patty. Hello, everyone. And my daughter, Megan. Hi there. And uh, I'm looking forward to our conversation. It means a lot to me that you guys are here and doing this with Emily and I today as our guests. Yeah, of course. Yeah. yeah. So our listeners know all about you already because we talk about you all the time. Oh, I've heard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If you guys uh, want a refresher on Megan, uh, a couple episodes ago with our guest Amanda Stagenborg, you can hear all about Megan as a as a toddler that Amanda used to babysit. You can yeah. pause this episode right now, go back and re-listen to it, and then you can pick this one back up when you're done with right. that. But um, yeah. Well, um, since you've been starving your family, it's a good thing that you brought a nice spread here for us to enjoy. Thank you. We've got all kinds of goodies, cheese, grapes, all kinds of Olives, treats. Yeah. Some artichoke dip. And- We've really stepped up our game from just drinking wine on the episode to like having fancy nibbles. Well, we feast. Yes. We try to feast yes. anyway here. That's right. Um, and sometimes we are more successful at feasting than others. <laughs> I'm not so sure about today. Um, but anyway, as part of my mom and my daughter being on the episode, I wanted to pick a wine that my I always heard my mom say that it was her favorite, her favorite, her favorite. And so I bought an, a bottle of Puy Fusé. And I probably said it wrong. But um, I was hoping that my mom could share with us why this has been her favorite wine. Well, it happened back in Hawaii when we were living in Hawaii. And, How um, long ago was that? 77. Okay. 77 80. So okay. Somewhere around there. And um, your dad and I went to this restaurant down in um, Honolulu because the wine steward from the Cannon Club, which was the Air Force captain, well, it was an officer's club, club uh, was on Diamond Head. We couldn't decide on wine one night, so he, they sent him over. And so we told him what we liked, and he came up with this wine that the two of us could drink because the husband liked it a little bit drier, I liked it a little bit sweeter. So he gave us that that night. And then he proceeded to go to this restaurant downtown, um, Honolulu, and we proceeded to follow him. So it's one of those restaurants that you would, I can't remember the name tonight, 
but uh, you could easily spend three hours, mm. and it was a lot of fun. And we so you followed you followed the wine we steward. We followed the wine steward. Yes, <laughs> that's great. Yeah, I'm sure Emily's followed a few wine stewards around town. <laughs> Absolutely. And then when they leave town and move on to you know greener pastures, it's. Uh, it's a difficult departure. It's like a yeah. member of your family has left. Totally. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's neat. So this brings back memories of mm. a very happy time. Yes. Yeah. How wonderful. Yeah. So um, I'll, I'm gonna, I'll share with our listeners a little bit about this yes, wine. Yes, So um, Clonoli, it is a Puy Fosse, um, a white burgundy. Um I'm I'm really excited that you brought this in. I've never I've never had this one. I like it quite a bit. I find um, notes of uh, clementine and white pepper. I it's very vibrant and fresh, and it's just a really really pretty uh, kind of golden color. So uh, definitely one to try, and obviously one that's been around for a long time. So yes, yeah, and uh, the Puy Fusé, There's a I got this from the wine merchants and, uh, you know, I was looking online trying to get some other ones, but I thought I'll go to the wine merchant because there are, you know, partners here on Clearly Speaking. And this bottle is at the lower end of Puy Fusse. And I do love my mother very, very much. <laughs> but when I had the choice between spending $70 a bottle or 25 yeah, I chose $25. I mean, I love you, Mom. No, but it's good. But yeah. It's, yeah, it's good. But that's higher than what we normally drink here on Clearly Speaking mm-hmm. for our listeners. So I have not found, and I don't know if, if there's Puy under $20. And I doubt you're going to find one in a $15 it's, range. Yeah, this is definitely an um, an entry point for white burgundies, you know, that that price point. So, But I think, uh, I think it certainly tastes wonderful and true to the region. Yeah, it's very, mm-hmm. very good. So that's your impression. Yeah. Megan, Michelle. you haven't said anything too much about this uh, wine. What, what's your impression of it? Um, well, I like it. I am not a big white wine drinker myself these days anyway. Um, so, But I do think it's fresh and easy to drink, and I, I like it. Yeah. Now, you um, haven't been drinking... All that long, right? <laughs> wink, wink. Well, yeah. legally. Okay. <laughs> For a couple of years, yes. So what was your first favorite wine? Um, I've kind of always liked red wine, um, but I I'm, I'm personally am not a big wine drinker, so I don't really have a favorite. But basically, like, the cheapest Pinot Noir I, yeah. I can get <laughs> if I'm in a wine mood. Yeah. I understand. Yeah. 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 Well, you live in uh, an area that produces incredible wines. Yes. Um, you're, Megan lives in Portland. Yes, or Oregon, not Maine. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. No, there's there are wine uh what vineyards mm-hmm. oh, all yeah. over the place we have i have many recommendations from folks in town um you can pretty much go to any grocery store and have a nice selection of wine um yeah yeah that's yeah. great yeah <laughs> michelle um what do you think of this wine well this wine is very good and i'm glad mm-hmm. i finally tried it i mean because all these years i was like oh poufousse poufousse i didn't know what it was yeah i knew mm-hmm. what it was but i never never tried it it is very nice it's light i can see myself drinking this in summertime as well as winter time mm-hmm. um with food or without food mm-hmm. <laughs> don't necessarily need to have a have a good uh you know meal in front of me but um 
It is an elegant wine, and I think, mm, and I think it's, I definitely. think it's one of those that you, it's like your nicest pair of, I think, silk panties. The ones that you wear on special occasions. On special right? occasions where you might need a meal, you might not mm. have a meal, but it doesn't really matter, but it's a special occasion. Yeah, those are the types. It's like, it's your best. And, I, and it's not a black pair of panties. I'm, I see Something like, pretty, a pretty I think color. Like a, like a, a little a, lace. A little mm. lace, a little, a little light pink even, mm-hmm. maybe, you know, that's what I'm seeing. Taupe. Yeah. Taupe? <laughs> <laughs> Is the taupe pink? No, no, but I like taupe. You like the lace. Oh, yeah. okay, for the panties. Yes. Okay. Is that what the wine reminds you of? No. Okay. You <laughs> <laughs> related to panties, honey. I always relate my wine yes. to panties. It's a way, it's a. It's kind of like my... It's a generation gap. <laughs> <laughs> it's more of a, a wine um, education gap. I don't have I don't have the the nose the the I mean I have drank a lot of wine and it's not because I lack experience in drinking wine. I don't want my I don't want to mislead our listeners into thinking that my inexperience in describing wines like Emily does does not mean that I have not drank a lot of wine. I have. We just have our own our own terminology for Michelle, which is wonderful. And I think that someday what we should do is um, put all of the terminology into a book. And, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Our, our own little cocktail yes. table, um, coffee table book. Perfect. Right. With like representative pictures. All right. And maybe even a set of panties that go with it. Clearly speaking panties. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Get their own. All right. See, we're only minutes in this conversation. We're already having great ideas. Yeah, I love it. We've only, I've only drank a little <laughs> bit of sips. my wine. Just imagine <laughs> yeah. what's going to happen when we've, the, yeah. when we've moved on to the next bottle. Yeah. So um, let's take a real quick break. Let's top our glasses off. We'll come back and we're going to get into the you know little little more deep discussion here. All right, sounds great. back everybody's got a little bit more wine in their glass and uh we've uh, topped off with a little crunching of our crackers <laughs> and our cheese and our and our sausage here so mm-hmm. yeah thanks welcome back to clearly speaking the podcast i am again very thrilled that my mom and megan my mom patty and my daughter megan <laughs> are here with us today and we were kind of talking a little earlier today uh, around the kitchen island and they were like, what are we going to talk about? And we ended up having like a 45-minute conversation. And I wished I'd had the recorder going <laughs> because it was, again, prime, wonderful conversations. Um, that why, it was why one of the reasons Emily and I started this podcast was to capture some of the great conversations that we have pe- with people. So one of the things that I brought up this morning was, um, you know, there's a c- kind of a similar similar theme or uh that kind of runs besides us all having the same blood and, you know, being biologically connected as women at our, at the age of 19 and 20, we, all of us here and in mm-hmm, my family absolutely. And, and me as I well, did, even you know, your I new did, family, my here. new family, Emily, yeah. we, um, you know, have left, left our home and gone and done something else. Um, my mom, and I want to ask you some questions about this. My mom left St. Louis at uh, the age of 19, 18, 19, 20. 20. And uh, went to New York to uh, dance. Oh, that was 19. 
<laughs> I love it. Okay. Yeah. First time I left St. Louis. Yeah, the first time to, to, to pursue your dreams, not to raise your children, um, but to pursue your dreams, you left and went to New York to dance in New York City. And then my daughter at 19 mm-hmm. left uh, St. Louis to move out to Portland, Oregon to pursue her dreams. And um, I left and went to Swansea, Wales for a year abroad and uh, came back. You know, I wish if I had been able to stay, mm-hmm. I would have tried to figure that out, but I didn't. I came back, and that's fine. You know, life life has, is as it is. But I thought that was kind of interesting when I thought of that connection mm-hmm. that we all have had. and uh, a, a Kind of a natural sense to be strong, independent women and pursue your dreams. Right, right, it, right like yeah. to go do it. So mm-hmm. um, I was, so I was, let's just start off with you, Mom. Um, and I'm going to call her Mom for the listeners out there because I don't know how to, hey, Patty, how are you doing? <laughs> um, so That would be strange. That would be too strange. So when you made that decision that you were going to go to New York, how old were you? I was probably 17. Okay. But my parents made sure that they, I understood that I wouldn't be allowed to go. Until I had a year of college. Okay. So after I graduated from high school and um, did Muni for a summer, I went to college for a year. And I went to my dad. I said, okay. (laughs) I um, got hired again at Muni in the dancing course. And he said, okay, you can go. And I left in August. After the season? After the season. So did you have a job lined up or did you go just saying, I'm going to audition and I'm going to make it happen? Right. So how many? I um, and my dad, they put me on the train, and my dad had worked for the railroad, and he said, you know, I had to do it all on my own. Except then he gave me a pass to come back on the train if things didn't work out. I could always get home. Yeah, (laughs) so that made him feel a little bit better about sending his daughter off to New York City. How long did it take you to find work? Um, I you know I did a lot of different auditions and stuff, and uh, I finally got a job at Radio City Music Hall. In oh. the ballet corps, when they still had the ballet corps. Mm, wonderful. And I made, a, from having not having a job, but having worked at Muni for 10 weeks, we could get unemployment. Oh, nice. So I stood on unemployment lines thinking, why am I here? Mm-hmm. And um, after I got the job, I worked for a while, never did a show. I quit and came back home. I went to school. Okay. Well, I think there was a man in there kind of, you know, yeah, telling father. Me. <laughs> <laughs> that I started dating him before. <laughs> yeah, at the end of the my first season at uh, Muni. Started yeah. dating my dad, which all of our listeners are very happy that you did that, you know, because otherwise they wouldn't get to hear my sultry voice mm-hmm. every Friday. So right. you, you obviously you grew up you grew up dancing. Um, what styles of dance did you study? I studied ballet, which was my first love, tap and jazz. And um, did a couple, did some commercials for um, oh, neat. when they were opening up Northwest Plaza. Mm. Did some there. Did uh, when they started to open up the Four Seasons Lodge, did some commercials for that, dancing. Wow. And um, performed around, did the Harkuda Dancers, which was basically a Jewish group, but most of us weren't Jewish. It <laughs> 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 was just a fun, fun, fun group. And um, danced St. Louis. Wow. The civic, single yeah. civic ballet uh, as a junior, um, and 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 the best education really was Muni. 
for three years. I did that three years. I did 30-some shows. Wow, my goodness. Now, I I know that, Michelle, you grew up dancing as well. Oh, yeah, yeah, I did. And did you, and is this something that you longed for? Is this maybe something that's part of the blood as well? Or is it something that, Patty, you encouraged Michelle to do from your experience? Well, she encouraged. (laughs) (laughs) Her father was in the Air Force, so wherever we were stationed, I ended up teaching somewhere and it got me into the community and I got to know people and either they had to sit there away from me or they had to be with a a babysitter so they came to the studio and they all ended up dancing even my boys Mm -hmm. we did now Megan did you study dance I did uh up through ish my Mm, like seventh or eighth grade year in really? middle school. Yeah, I danced at McKinley. Yeah. Oh, at McKinley. At McKinley. That, that's right. I was thinking outside at the other, when no. we would drive to the studio, that that ended it. Like, no. I took like dance lessons. Like mm-hmm. my mom, you know, um, took me to those and I danced. And there are some really great pictures of we, me. We could do- probably post them on our website. I <laughs> would appreciate that you did um, But yeah, I, I did that sort of, I guess, privately. And then when I got into middle school, I hadn't danced in a while. And then I went into the, you know, took dance classes. Instead and then, of PE, it was a choice. Of, yeah. And then, yeah. So speaking of, you know, pictures back from the early days of dance, I'm curious um, about maybe a favorite dance costume I have a least favorite. Okay, let's hear it. <laughs> is that polka costume that I had to wear? Yeah. That yellow and red, awful blue. Oh yeah, the thing. one I have that picture of you. Yeah, in, the, and one, and the, the one, picture, yeah. the, the one picture. Yeah, the one that she shows everybody. Yeah, she's like, oh. "This is my daughter in her polka costume." <laughs> <laughs> it was just so difficult to get in and out oh. of, and I hated it. Yeah. So, Michelle, do you have a, a memory of a costume you love or hated? I uh, I hated, <laughs> but I also understand the effectiveness of this costume the black trash bags the shredded oh, trash bags that wow. my mom made us wear to do the whiz <laughs> the whiz um ease on down oh, the road yeah. and she was like just trust me I was like <laughs> me and my friends were like shredding trash bags like this is the suckiest costume we've ever had to wear you know and <laughs> this is just garbage <laughs> this is just garbage <laughs> but i mean it saved your the parents lots of money well and I, it was yeah. effective on stage right i, I mean Everything's always hindsight's twenty twenty, you know. But uh, I totally understand now what that was yeah. like. Yeah. Did I, you dance, Emily? I did. Yeah, I started off with tap when I was really young, like four or so. And um, boy, I do have a favorite oh, dance. Yeah? Yes, it was. Uh, it was a bunny rabbit. <laughs> And of course, you know, yeah. you know me. I have this yeah. affinity for bunny rabbits, right. and um, yeah, I love. I love. If I could still wear it, I would. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Well, uh-huh. I'm really glad you can't. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think your fashion choices are a lot better than the, than a bunny costume, um, Emily. But uh, but if it made you happy, then oh, that's all that matters. It was, it was great. What about you, Patty? Oh, there's quite a few. Um, Probably my most favorite is the Potticot costume mm. when I did um, Potticot from Nathalie Levine and Michael Sims. It's I don't know da- what that is. It's the dance of the four divas, oh, ballerinas. Potica. Okay, at Potticot, Potticot as in P-A-D-S. the number cut. Got yes. it. Their arms interlocked. Huh? Oh, no, that's the four little swans. Oh, okay. <laughs> that's from Swan Lake. Okay. Anyway, um, that's probably one of my favorites. And then the other one would be Tarantella. And that was five of us 
with uh, Pas de Deux with Skies. Okay. And that was, I was sort of the lead of that group. Do you have photos of? I have some photos, yes. And then my favorite one from from uni of three, 30, 30 some shows is um, I have a picture of myself with Donald O'Connor and he's got his arm around me. And I ended up doing a special dance with him with seven other girls, but I got a, a five dollars extra that week because I had to say a line. How you got five dollars extra? Wow. Nice. Yeah, were you I, actors equity? Yes. Okay. From yes, we're equity. The time at the Muni. Fascinating. I think it would be fun to invite our listeners to share some of uh, their photos of early dance costumes. Their favorite yeah, or least favorite. We'd love to see them. The one I like of Michelle is her little mouse. Oh, <laughs> remember that from Tadlocks? Yes, I, I I was in my the, the a bear, a bear, I was a, bear. It was a bear. We were doing a Disney theme or something. I still think though, I loved it when I was a marshmallow <laughs> with the white net and the white tights and that the white and the white leotard and you know yes, yeah the net the and the net. I was like that. a marshmallow. And that I, sounds oh. that would be a great Halloween costume. Well, it would be. Yeah. Gosh, I have so many things I, I can wear for Halloween now. <laughs> I was hoping to just kind of like, you know, shred another back. trash bag. <laughs> I can, and then just do jazz heads just down the street. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> scare the children away. You can do that any day of the week. You scare the children. Ha- <laughs> I, don't need, I actually you don't, don't need, need the Halloween. trash bag. That's right. That's right. That's my goal. So, so we talked about mom leaving to go to New York City and then coming home. And Megan, you left to go to Portland, and you have not come back to St. Louis yet, other than when you visit. What made you decide that you wanted to go to the West Coast? Well, you know, much or the Pacific like, Northwest. I don't want to. You can say West. It's okay. the same. Okay. Upper left, North USA. <laughs> Upper. <laughs> you know what? We're going to leave one. that. <laughs> um, no, I mean, a lot like m- my grandmother, I had done a year at university uh, in southern Mississippi, and I decided I was not going back. And I didn't really have a plan in place uh, when I left. I still wanted to go to school, but I didn't have any like real viable options and so I was just planning on doing a keeping chugging along at my uh, general ed credits and like traveling mm-hmm. uh, to sort of figure out where I wanted to go next and you know a family friend of ours he said you know I have some family up in Portland because it was on my list of places to check out and he was like why don't uh, I get you in contact with them and if you can coordinate a date when you go visit I'll pay for your plane tickets yeah. out there and I had not met anybody who was just that generous after only talking to me for a few hours um, that I thought that that was an opportunity Mm -hmm. I could not pass up. So I went out and visited in July of 2014, Mm -hmm. and I stayed with his cousin and her wife and their two young boys at that point in time, and it was like coming to a place that I had already known, you know, I, I... sort of fell in love with Portland, as many folks do. Um, But I I felt like I just kind of automatically belonged there. And it just so happened that as I was getting ready to leave, Abigail asked me to come back and be their live-in nanny uh, and do some childcare in exchange for room and board. Again, another incredibly generous offer that I was like, this is an opportunity I'm not ever going to have again. So I 
took that and I told my parents I was leaving. I did not ask. I said, please help me buy a one-way plane ticket to Portland. And then a few weeks later, After I... After I got up from throwing myself on the floor and crying and kicking and screaming, I was like, here's mm-hmm. a few pennies. <laughs> no. <laughs> it wasn't like that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, I did. I got on a plane and I moved out there and I stayed because... That is at least at this point in my life where I feel like I'm supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm going to brag on you a little bit here. She went out there. She fulfilled your obligation, you know, what you've um, been asked to to do with Marjorie and Abigail and the boys. You've made incredible friends. You have you got uh, jobs at uh, various places that you needed to do to earn money. You have paid your way through college. You're, I mean, you should be patting yourself on the mm-hmm. back every every day because a lot of people don't. Mm-hmm. A lot of people just don't do that. I mean, yeah, they, they, they don't take that same sense of responsibility, and nor do they are they brave enough to to follow these signs and these doors that kind of naturally open for us. And uh, you know, it can be a very scary thing. So to go out there and attack it on your own, that's at a young age. That's definitely something to celebrate. Well, I've never really thought about it like that, truthfully. I've just sort of been like, okay, well, this is what I have to do because mm-hmm. my other option is to not do anything or live a life that I don't want to. So it's like, all right, well, I have to figure out what I need to do to make this work. And honestly, sometimes I'm a little surprised by how I fly by the seat of my pants <laughs> and it all manages to work out. There are some times I'm like, wow, how did I? All right. <laughs> We're Welcome along to here. life, yeah, Megan. Yeah, that's what I really feel like it's like. Um but I mean, I, I am proud of myself. I, you yeah. know, am going to be finally graduating with my undergraduate degree this summer, spring. Cause what I'm are on, you studying? I, I'm a psych major. Okay. I have always been. That's okay. never changed. I just took a little while to get there. Um, and what and what do you want to do with your degree? Well, I would like to continue working with children, but less in the sort of privatized childcare way. Uh, I would like to go on to um, do probably a master's program and get some sort of clinical degree where I'm specialized in working mm-hmm. with kids or, you know, like child psychology or maybe developmental. Mm-hmm. Um, well, psych. you'll have to do some kind of master's program, won't you, to make any money or... Well, yeah, I mean, to do what I... My big long-term dream is to one day have my own sort of holistic private practice where you just come to one location and you have, like, you can see your PCP, but then you also have, like, folks who specialize in child psychology or, like, other holistic medicine or those kinds of things. And to do that, I would eventually need a PhD, but that's, like, years down the line and money and funding later. But, yes, in order to do anything where I'm practicing clinically, I would need to get a master's degree. So you said PCP, and that made me think of two other things, of which are probably not what you really meant. What what does PCP stand for? A primary care physician. Ah, there you go. That's what I meant. The first thought that came into my mind was Portland Cello Project. Oh, yeah. No. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Meg's a cello player also. Emily's a cello player. I I was. I don't know if I can still call myself a cellist, but... Do you have a cello? I in don't. Portland? That is a dream one day too, but to own my own. Yeah. 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 Well, I know somebody that can probably hook you up. <laughs> <laughs> she probably knows people to hook you up with it too. <laughs> Absolutely. So. She played the sax on piano. Piano. Yeah. Yeah. She's quite musical. We talked uh, about yeah. you and your music on another episode. I think that was. <laughs> I think that was episode five. 
And, the one and thing six that- and seven and eight. No. <laughs> when she was in high school? Well, yes. When you did... Um... Streetcar? No, no, no. The other one. That was Guys and Dolls was in middle school. That was middle Middle school. school. Yeah. She calls me up after she gets the part. She says, but Grandma, 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 I'm doing Bella. Adelaide. Adelaide and Guys and Dolls. Just like you did. I'm going to be in the the same play. She was so excited. So I found out when she was going to perform it. And I flew in from Mm -hmm. um, Florida. And she um, came out of her, I was at the school in the hallway. And she came out of her classroom talking to her friend coming down, and she saw me, and she just screamed. <laughs> I don't remember screaming, but probably oh, did. I did. She screamed, and <laughs> and so I got to watch their dress rehearsal. Oh, I do remember that. Yes, and her teacher said that that was the biggest surprise. It just was great for her, <laughs> and so I couldn't have missed it. Yeah, it was really it was really fun to yeah, watch. So she gets the bug. Yeah, there's all a of her kids do. They all do something. Yeah, mm-hmm. all of my, all my kids grandchildren. Yep, yeah, we. I guess we were just made for the stage, <laughs> <laughs> even if we had to build our own right. yeah. and call it a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> we were made for it. <laughs> well, let's take another real quick break and yes, uh, come back and continue this wonderful conversation. All right, sounds great. Well, we're back. And, uh, second bottle opened. Second bottle opened. Mom mm-hmm. and Megan have not fled yet, so that's good. So I think it's well, just, the door's locked. So the door is locked, <laughs> and I have the keys. We got a barge in front of us. Too. <laughs> <laughs> Can't leave yet. We have things to talk about. Um, so one of the things that I wanted to get some perspective on, you know, I I am fully aware of what it's like to be a nearly fifty year old woman. I know my experience. I know, you know, what it was like to be 20. I know what it's like to be 50. But I'm I'm curious. I want to ask my mom. I want to ask Megan. Um what are like what have you seen change for women moms since you were 20, 30, 40? Um and then Megan similarly, I mean, you're living in a whole nother time for what women can do and be and and I'd like to hear some of like your your perceptions, your experiences um and then you know what are our hopes mm-hmm. as we as we all get older for the next generation for the next generation yeah. and you know behind us for, mm-hmm. as women you know and Emily of course you know always chime in <laughs> this is not to, an of exclusionary course. conversation in any way so mom well, I think for me the fact that my mother worked and she was in a corporation. Um, I heard a lot. And at 20, you know, high school, 20, women didn't have a lot of a voice. She was one of the first five women that was on the executive payroll of a brown shoe company. When she retired, they hired a man for double what she made. <laughs> Man. And they begged her to come back, and she wouldn't do it because they wouldn't pay her the same. Mm-hmm. So I don't know how much know that, that has that. changed. Well, there's still struggles with that. Yes, that's yeah. what I'm saying. I mean, the gap is not maybe not as significant. I hopefully. think women have but... gotten more of a voice. Mm-hmm. 
but we're not always allowed to say exactly what we want to say. We have to be careful how we approach it. Not just like men that come in and say whatever. Although the men were treated not so nicely then either. Um, but I was at 20, 21, a mother already and married and moving around the country because my husband was in the Air Force and he went to Vietnam. So it's just, um, it was different for me because I wasn't near my parents. Um, the Air Force became my family. The people we were stationed with, the people that, um, you know, we raised our kids together, everything. Um, in fact, it's it's uncanny how we stayed in, sort of in, attached to them. I had a phone call this past spring from two of my friends that we were stationed with in Myrtle Beach. They were having a reunion out in Tucson. They told me, you've got to come because I didn't go last time. And I'm divorced now from her dad. And it turned out that it was a lot of fun. Mm. We picked up where we had left off. Mm-hmm. Just the, the experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think as far as Megan's concerned, there's a whole world out there for women. And with the Me Too movement and stuff like that, mm-hmm. I think it's going to go a lot further. We got bogged down with being, you know, in the kitchen, pregnant in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. That uh, her father told me one time when I turned 40 that I got a mouth. <laughs> when you turned 40? When I had turned 40. Or was it he finally, oh, never mind. I was going to say, <laughs> he finally got the wax out of his ears. You can hear it. No, when I turned 40, I, I quit well, taking you it quit and I back. started... Yeah, and saying, I think, hey, this is me. I think this a lot of women about. do that. It, you know, at forty, we kind of, mm-hmm. you know, start voicing sort of like, you, yeah. hey, this isn't. We we feel like really more comfortable in our skin and say, this isn't right. This isn't work for me. Mm-hmm. Um, stop. You know, things. But of what that I want to say in his defense is that he never ever stopped taking care of his family. He always made sure his family was taken care of. We were married almost 28 years when we divorced, but um, we're both okay with each other. Yeah, that's good. We can be in the same room without (laughs) killing each other. (laughs) Just give us some wine. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Well, well, you know, dad drinks red, mom drinks poufousse, so it's all fine. I know, I know how to do it now. Um, I can keep everybody uh, good, good and liquored up. But my other question, I guess, mom, is you know when you were raising kids in the 70s, early 70s, there was like the feminism movement going on. Were you like, were you aware of it? Were you, were you you just so focused? Do you, on the kids? I mean, what, what sort of impact do you think it had on you? You know, the burning the bras and the anti-war and, you know, and the, the free love kind of thing. I mean, I'm just curious. Well, I wasn't ready to find the nude beach, that's for sure. (laughs) But, um, no, I was busy raising four children, yeah, and we moved around. So, um, and he wasn't always there when we moved, right? So I had to get the family here, there, whatever, and my focus was my family, and I could teach. That was my personal. I taught dance wherever we were stationed, yeah. so that was my personal. Hey, this is what you do, but the rest of the time was my family. I do know as growing up as your as your child, when my mom did not have the dance studio to go to as her outlet, it was not very fun at home. <laughs> sure. She was a little agitated. She you know, she you know, so we were always very happy when we moved to a new location when mom found her studio because mm-hmm. that became her but, sanctuary, right? 
Yeah. It was my relief. You don't, mm -hmm. you know, it's like somebody that's an artist that goes to their art studio or somebody that plays the piano for hours. Mm -hmm. It's a time that you don't think about what's going on in your life. Mm -hmm. So it's your refuge. And it was mine. Yeah. And um, the first place I haven't taught is is Florida. I, I'm curious mm -hmm. if, um, you know, you mentioned that your husband wasn't always there. Um, I'm sure a part of his job, you know, yeah. what, he, what he did. So um, I wonder if because you had these prolonged periods where you weren't together, if that made it um, when, he, when he was home rather than voicing your opinion in earlier stages of your marriage, you were like, well, he's home. We got to take advantage of the situation. Everybody's got to be happy. And, you know, <laughs> if that then... Well, yes, Michelle spoke up one time. She says, Daddy's coming home. I said, does that mean we have to eat around the kitchen table again? <laughs> <laughs> I said, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. I guess it was just the, we were living the the life of luxury when dad wasn't around with mom. Yeah. No, but then no, dad. I didn't let you get away with No, stuff. you didn't. You didn't. But dad would always make us like, you know, different breakfasts than mom did. So, but we're not, mm -hmm. this is not a podcast about, you know, no, my parents. I, but I think Emily's question is valid. Mm -hmm. You know, when somebody's gone, I mean, even like Meg's dad, I'm, you know, he's gone all, I'm not married to him, obviously, but, uh, you know, when he's around, it's like, oh, he's here, so mm -hmm. let's just enjoy. Let's be peaceful. Let's enjoy the time while he's yeah, here. Yeah, yeah, which, which might explain, too, then why, like, later on in life and when your children were older, it was like, darn it, I'm going to speak my mind now, <laughs> you know. We don't, we, well, I didn't make that decision. I think it just happened. It evolved. It did, Yeah. Yeah, I, I didn't consciously make that decision, mm -hmm. but um, yeah, interesting. Megan, you've uh, you've always been a quiet child. You've never really had much to say about anything. So um, I want to ask you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just an active listener. <laughs> I'm very good at it. Yes. What is it you'd like to ask me? I would like to ask you with you know what you've experienced. I guess you you grew up with um, you know a child of divorced parents. Um, a pretty independent mom. I, mm -hmm. I know this for, I mean, I can speak from experience mm -hmm. on that one. And, um, you know, so you could see, I guess, struggles, and I don't want to lead you down the, to the answer that I want you to say in any way, but um, what, what has it been like for you as a early 20s female um, making your way you know, seeing the changes in our society, what, and what would you like our society to look like for people? Okay. Well, I mean, <clears throat> everybody's lived experience is different, right? And I think that, yes, there are a lot of things, a lot of, you know, privileges in my life that I never really understood when I was younger that they weren't always that way. You know, it's, it's sort of mm -hmm. weird and a little disassociating to hear just two generations prior someone in my family being like one of the first women in a, in a corporation. Mm -hmm. um, whereas, you know, I don't know if it's just that we're sort of socialized to think that it's always been that way without really realizing where... Uh, the work was done prior to get us there. But, you know, I, I think in some ways I've had it easier than a lot of my predecessors. But in other ways, I have had, you know, unique challenges that have not been 
something experienced by my family before. I mean, for example, I live as a queer woman. So Mm -hmm. that is in and of itself its own sort of everyday thing to navigate. Um, And, you know, we sort of like the work is not done. So what? We have gay marriage. Like there's a ton of other things going on. I mean, you know, in 2017, I had some slurs thrown at me on the street. Really? Uh Uh-huh. Um, even in as liberal oasis as Portland is, you still get people Mm -hmm. who, you know, Hmm. drop the F-bomb at you and you're just kissing your girlfriend. Like, um, so, you know, there's, that experience is, is its own, like, tough spot. And, you know, learning about, um, history that wasn't taught for me, especially gay history and having Mm -hmm. to find that myself Mm -hmm. and search that out and just learning how to be, um, a more <laughs> more intersectional in my feminism, right? I mean, you talk about bra burning and mm-hmm. and the beginning of the feminist movement, but now, I mean, in light of Me Too, in light of you know various differences in the wage gap, I mean, we sort of talk about one, but it is different for women of different colors, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and right. it's you know um, that's sort of my everyday like alignment I suppose is to you know try to be as educated as I can and recognize that like my position as a woman as a queer woman as a white woman is many different Mm -hmm. you know intersections and you sort of have to recognize that like life doesn't happen in a vacuum and so if we're going to keep moving forward right like Mm -hmm. we want to do for women for all women right we have to recognize that like not everybody has the same place not everybody has the same starting point starting point either mm-hmm. and so that's just something that I think about every day and I try to you know share that with others so that they can be it's a great perspective yeah yeah how do you think that um our society could how, how what could we do to improve the way that we educate young people about um the fact that they're that we many of us identify um, sexuality in a different way. Um, you know, you you mentioned having a difficult time learning about the history of, um, you know, queer people, gay right. people. Right. Um, do you have thoughts on what could be done to improve what that might look like for the next generation? Um, well, I'll answer that question because I'm not uncomfortable with it. But there are folks who would definitely be uncomfortable answering that. Um, As a queer person, they'd be uncomfortable just answering that? the concept of like, well, how do we fix it from oh. your position of mm-hmm. marginality? Tell us how to fix it. Oh, okay. But I'll, like, I'm not uncomfortable mm-hmm. with that because I think that it's important. And I think the answer is, is people got to stop being afraid of everybody. Mm-hmm. You know, there has to be this sort of humanization of others who are different from you, truthfully, because that's how you keep folks divided mm-hmm. is if you're like, well, you know, if you don't like if you don't know a gay person there are air quotes there folks if you don't know a gay person then like it's easier for you to like stay disconnected from what would be considered rights that should be held by them right so there's got to be like it's just it's important to recognize differences but you just don't be afraid of them and i think don't judge well yeah but also it's a a lot of what i think this sort of like hateful like distancing and and 
discriminating against comes from just fear. Mm-hmm. It's just fear of the unknown, of something that you don't understand. And truthfully, you don't have to understand it to respect it. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's like sort of the biggest take home is that like we just need to, you know, teach our kids and teach your friends in ways that are constructive and compassionate and they don't have to be aggressive that like just because you don't understand this person doesn't mean that you don't respect them mm-hmm. and that they don't deserve to have rights, you know, at the mm-hmm. end of the day. Yeah. So I'm going to ask a question because I, um, I'm curious. Um, the term queer, um, you know, that is one that I feel like has come it more into mainstream culture in the last several years. It, for me, like, you know, we've heard about um, homosexuality, gay, and me when I was much younger as a kid growing up, the term queer was thrown out as a negative slang. Definitely. And But now I'm hearing it in a much more... Um, positive light. It's. It seems to me like it's. It's. It's got almost a, new, not a new meaning, but maybe there's something different behind there's not that as word. Much hatred now. attached to the word. Yeah. There's. There's something. Well, it's. It's become a part of how um, some gay people identify themselves. You definitely. said I live my life as a queer person. Right. So, um, in your perspective, like how has that word shifted and. And is there a difference between being queer and being gay? I mean, you know, when we get into identities, it's sort of like what fits best for that person. And I think that, yeah, I mean, historically, queer is definitely thrown around as like a slur. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's based on the user at that point in time, right? And I know that definitely within the LGBTQ community, a lot of folks feel more comfortable with that label because it's not necessarily tying you down to Mm -hmm. one thing. I mean, the definition of queer itself means to be not the norm. You know, I mean, and that's, again, air quotes, I don't have a dictionary in front of me. But I, I sort of move through different labels it's sometimes it's easier to just say a queer woman because that doesn't necessarily mean anything but I often I mean I'm a lesbian I refer to myself as a gay you know (laughs) like just jokingly within my own community but I think that it is definitely sort of a reclaimed word Mm -hmm. and working towards reclaiming that part that word in when you know historically it hasn't always been well, when it when it joined the LGBT, right, right, when it became the last letter in that, right, that's yeah, I, yeah. that's when things people started to embrace that word in a new way. Maybe I I I don't know because I don't have that perspective. I can, I mean I I think maybe, but mm-hmm. I mean when I was growing up, Q also meant questioning. You know, mm-hmm. just oh, really? sure. Yeah, yeah, I guess I feel like, but it could. <sighs> I mean, queer questioning, all sorts Mm -hmm. of different levels. I mean, you know, there are many labels, and for some folks, none of those fit. Right. So when I was dancing, and I started when I was three, queer was the word for dancers. Really? Yes, that were gay. They were queer. That was the word. Hmm. And um, I never liked it Uh. because they were my friends. Right. Did they, by having them being called that did you have when you said just now you said but they were my friends I didn't like that word because they were my friends did you feel somewhere in a societal pull that because they were called queer you couldn't be their friend I think so because you know my parents didn't understand them 
I'm dancing with them. Yeah. Getting, you know, getting to know them as a person and what their person is. Yeah. And I couldn't see why people didn't like them. Right. So they like the guy. I mean, I remember being at the dance platform and one of the guys come up and say, oh, I'm having this trouble. I thought, guys, they didn't even have trouble, <laughs> you know, in, in their romantic <laughs> lives. And I thought, oh, my gosh. But they were my friends. Right. And I didn't like when people called them queer. And I would let them know it. I said, yeah. you don't know them. You don't label them. They're people. They're, they're people. Right. So it sounds like you had a voice um, all your life, that your voice mm-hmm. was there. Um, maybe when, uh, not necessarily standing up for yourself until you were 40-ish, but definitely standing up for those that you care about and loved. Yeah. You know, your whole life. Um, well, I, and Megan, uh, not to flip us up all, all over the place, but we are drinking this really great wine. So my brain goes a bunch of places and you're coughing right now. So of course I'm gonna put all the focus and effort on you right now. Um, when you say identify as a queer woman and you, do you, do you feel that that is, um, that that subset or that segment of the you know, the uh, female um, society, I don't know what the word is, like, like that's your, that, that's your circle and those that, that's going to be your focused and that um, the rest of the women out there who are not identify as queer female don't really matter as much to you because... Are you asking me if I'm a lesbian exclusionist? <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess if that's the right terminology for it. I mean, there was, a, you know, in, in the radical feminism movement years ago, you did have your lesbian separatists. Mm-hmm. I remember watching that on yeah. the movie and I was wondering about that. No. Okay. I mean, I... Do you feel do you feel cut off from the rest of the, like, the straight women? Uh, well, <laughs> I think that there... I have a couple thoughts. Um... I think that in some ways, yes, Mm -hmm. in terms of just really, we're going to broad speak, heteronormative culture in general. There's a lot of things that like don't happen in my everyday life that like sometimes when I hear about them, I'm like, whoo, that is not a problem I have to deal with. Like what? Um, I don't know. Just like I... Like a man slapping you like, on your ass. Yeah, and work. I, yeah I, I mean, you know, those aren't things that I, I, I deal with. Or even just like some of the like, you know, dating drama. Like I have not had to deal with that as an adult woman, right? Like trying to navigate mm-hmm. being a single adult, a straight woman. Like that's not something I've mm-hmm. ever had to do. So you, you've you never, did you ever date boys or did yeah, you just always I knew? did when I was younger. younger okay. But I mean, it took me until my freshman year of college down in Mississippi. And I was like, <laughs> yeah. I was like a joke. <laughs> I was like, no, I came home and I was like, I'm gay. Like just all the way. Um, but so in some ways, yes, but that's just because... You know, I, I get, I get nervous. Like I don't, I, mm. I don't have, um, I don't have that experience, and so in some ways I can't relate. And and I imagine that it's often reciprocated in that way, right? For women who are, uh, you know, just don't have those you know, queer experiences, can't. There's there's a barrier to relation, but. That's just in my head, right? That's right. not like anything right. that anybody projects on me. But I did want to go back to this sort of like uh, your question about, you know, 
defining myself as a queer woman and as I live a queer life. If you just take a step back about, think about what queer means in general, like too queer as a verb, my life is not anything that is like a normal, traditional sort of like graduate high school, go to college for four years, being mm. a serious relationship, mm-hmm. getting married. Like I have not done that in any particular order, right? My bachelor's degree has taken me almost six years. Mm-hmm. I have, you know... T- but you paid but, for you on your own. Well, yes, but you know, right? Like I... I just sort of have lived a different kind of life. Mm-hmm. Um, so in that way, it's also a queer life. It's a little different than the Yeah, the so it's on lots of, of several layers there. Right. Have, are a lot of your friends that you grew up with, have they gone on that traditional path that you were referring to? Yeah, and sometimes it's tough to not compare myself to them. You know, a lot of folks who are my age are already graduated. Like my partner has been out of school for a couple of years and I get a little like, oh, you know, I'm not there yet and I feel, you know, sort of behind and that's like, not true, but that's definitely a, a, an insecurity that I have around a lot of folks that I went to middle school and high school with. I mean, I you know, I see people all the time entering PhD programs and sort of doing this because that's what they love. And I don't, I'm not, I don't wish them any harm, but for my own self, it's like, yeah, like, you know, you guys have taken this path and you're being w- wildly successful. And so, you know, whenever you are different in any sort of realm of life, Sometimes comparing yourself to those who are maybe just chugging along that straight line can be a difficult comparison to, like, stop yourself from doing. Yeah, mm-hmm. you can do that. But if I can insert something, you are going to come out with such a, a much better vision for anybody you you um, see as a client or mm-hmm. anything like that because of what you've gone through. And these are your choices. Yeah. And so don't ever belittle yourself because you're doing your choices and you're paying for it yourself. I am so proud of you. Thank you. And I know this because as a dance teacher, I wasn't always, I was, did not realize I was being trained to be the teacher that I was. When and you when were I, dancing? When I was dancing. Okay. But because of my experiences, and I didn't go on with it professionally, I could counsel my students that right, were good right. what to expect if right. that's what they wanted. And I think from what you've been doing in your life, you're going to be able to do the same thing and you'll get a lot of satisfaction from it. Thank you. You're welcome. I love you. I love you too. <laughs> this is why we do the podcast, Emily. This is uh, why we do the podcast all the time. This is my Beautiful. granddaughter. That when we were going to, uh, <laughs> we were taking our first train trip. Trip to Springfield. What was she? Four, five. No, she would have been three, six because Jacob was two. So we were taking. Well, let me, let me let me let me give a little backstory. I had had this idea that I was going to take my two children by myself on the train to Springfield, and my wise mother said, Michelle. Are you sure you want to go on this trip by yourself with your six-year-old and your two-year-old? Yeah, Mom, I can handle it. Are you sure, Michelle? <laughs> Mother's you know, advice. Mom, why don't you come with me? Yeah. Best decision <laughs> I made. Well, I don't know how I would have done it. trip turned into a part of a bus trip. I do. Oh, and so we're sitting there, and Jacob's in the back seat with, and behind me with um, 
his mother, Michelle, and I had Megan. She was next to the window. And Megan is not a talker. <laughs> anyway, she was just sitting in the seat next to me and just yakking away. I didn't listen to her. And, and finally, she looked up to me and she said, Grandma. I said, what, Megan? She said, am I t- talking too much? <laughs> and I said, well, maybe a little. <laughs> so... It goes way back with her. So, so I don't have. Um, I've, I'm sitting on the outside. You guys were all there on the story, and I, there's been a couple of times that the the comments come up that Megan is not a talker, and there's these air quotes. And so I do not know. Is this sarcastic? Yes. Okay. Yeah. No. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. Yes. yes. And she calls, and we talk on the phone. My husband Gary says, "Okay, I'll see you in an hour and a half." Yeah. <laughs> oh, when Megan great. was a baby. Uh, she started like chattering. Ma- chattering when she was about three or four months old, and even we would stick the binky in her mouth. <laughs> she still would talk with. <laughs> she takes after her mother. <laughs> oh, I'm not a talker at all. I know it's just terrible. You know, I'm doing this podcast. It's amazing how you turn it on when we're here. <laughs> just when we're here, I don't speak at all. Otherwise, she bossed her brother and two co- male cousins around when she was two. Yes. You're not helping me get any dates out there, Mom. They're going to say she's but been you were bo- two. <laughs> bossing men around since I was two. <laughs> <laughs> and my daughter just gave me the big old eye roll on that one. <laughs> um, this is uh, wonderful. I, I really totally appreciate each of you and, and, and Emily as well. But I, I really I thank you, Megan, for listening to me talk about my podcast have you heard about it have you told your friends yeah i'm curious have either of you listened to the podcast i have yes oh okay no i have not okay (laughs) (laughs) not sure how to get there yet okay so so it's a technology hold up for you and i've been moving oh okay yeah that, that's a good reason. Megan, have you listened to yeah, a I've listened, couple? I listened to many, a few. A few. Yeah, yeah. I, I love podcasts in general, so I sort of like cycle through, and mm-hmm. you guys are definitely like a longer episode one. You know? <laughs> right. Like, They've gotten longer and longer. Yeah. You're, 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 you guys are good for bike rides, for sure. Oh, I'll, good. Yeah. Okay. We'll have to use that as a testimonial. <laughs> Going for a bike ride? <laughs> so, so what episode um, that you've listened to was your favorite? Um... You know, I did like, I, I can't remember if it was the second or the third one, whichever okay. one I think, Mom, that you recommended for me af- after I listened to the pilot, of course. Um, I In the know? I, I think so, yeah. Oh, yeah. And yeah. that was episode eight then. Eight. Okay, yeah. so I don't keep track of mm-hmm. the numbers. Yeah, we, but know, we all know, we know the numbers. <laughs> yeah, you guys yeah. know the numbers. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, I really enjoyed the, the content and just, mm-hmm. you know appreciate that folks were having that kind of conversation oh absolutely it's one that we want to continue to have too yes yeah Yeah. but i do i do appreciate everything about you thank you for coming on well thank you for having me sharing um your perspective and hopefully every time you come into st louis i'll get you on the show (laughs) (laughs) as a repeat as a repeat guest um and then mom i just I, i love you so much and it's really been a, a dream of mine to have a conversation like this. Um, I, I adore the, the podcast people, StoryCorps, and the intergenerational con- conversations that they have on their podcast. And I've always wanted to have something like that. And so I so appreciate you making, um, helping make this a reality for me today. We could, and we will talk, I know lots more, but um, it's nice to memorialize it for me. 
And thank you for letting me be a part of the conversation. I wouldn't have had it any other way, Emily, <laughs> at all. And Sam, you've been so quiet over there. Thanks for uh, thanks yes. for being a fantastic audio engineer for us and the support for Clearly Speaking, the podcast. But we have about a sip left on our bottle, our very, very good bottle of Pufuse. And I want to say here's here's yeah. to here's to the women here in this room yeah. and the women and our listen, men who are listening. We appreciate you. We appreciate you. Yes. And we always want to hear your stories, too. If you have anything to share um, with regards to any of the conversation that we've had today, please feel free to reach out to us, give us a call, send us a message on one of our social media platforms. Like us, subscribe to us, write a review, all of those things that we say all the time. And um, we really appreciate it. So, Absolutely. Take care. Bye. Until next time. Bye.